Hi, everyone. It's Jivana. I just want to come on for a moment and thank our sponsor, Offering Tree. They're an all-in-one, easy-to-use, community-backed business that saves you time, energy, and money as a yoga teacher. Offering Tree allows you to create a website in less than 30 minutes. Plus, you get a discount through Accessible Yoga. Just go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to get your discount today. Okay, here's our episode. Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. This podcast explores the connections between the teachings of yoga for self and collective transformation. We dive into how spirituality and philosophy can ignite social change. I share conversations with folks who are on the front lines of justice and liberatory movements, thought leaders and change makers, disruptors and healers. The Dalai Lama is a symbol of hope for millions and has given the world so much, so generously for decades. The world saw an edited clip of the Dalai Lama and a child that went viral a few weeks ago. Many non-Tibetans, practitioners of Buddhism and yoga were numb, outraged, shocked, dismayed at an interaction that brought up much discomfort based on personal and collective history of harm and abuse by religious leaders and yoga teachers who have misused and abused their power. Since then, Tibetan leaders, activists, practitioners, and people from the community and their allies have spoken up about how this has been misinterpreted, an expression of affection, a phrase often used by Tibetan elders misconstrued. Today, we will pack this unpack this further with Chimiyamo, a repeat guest on the podcast. Chimi is a community leader, a human rights activist, often called to speak about Tibet on global platforms. Chimi, a very warm welcome to you to the podcast. I know you have been uh, talking nonstop and sharing and working nonstop uh, uh, on this for the past few weeks, and you probably are exhausted. And I so appreciate you coming to the podcast on such a short notice to have this conversation. How has the past few days been for you personally? And what has come up in the community? To be honest, um, all my life, I've never really been short of words. Uh, I am an expressive person. I'm vocal about the challenges that we face as community whether it is the Tibetan community, whether it's my student union, um, whether it's issues of being a Parkdalian locally based in Toronto in Canada. Um, however, when this news came out uh, last week, for the first three days, I just couldn't believe the world's response to this edited clip uh, that was going viral because there is 87 years, a lifetime of dedication to spreading the message of peace, love, humanity, teachings on wisdom and compassion. 
that the world has just only co-opted, only absorbed tremendously to a point where we've revolutionized neuroscientists' conversations about how to talk on positive psychology, the research on altruism. All of these have actually rooted from conversations that came from the Mind and Life Institute, which His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, had created. So there was a lifetime, a plethora of just give, give, give from our community. And all of that was just completely judged and nullified by a couple of seconds clip that the world saw and perceived by their own perspectives that are driven by worldly concerns and also a very hypersexualized narrative. And that perspective was used to completely nullify or supersede that lifetime of dedication of His Holiness the Dalai Lama and also the people, the Tibetan people and their allies and supporters whose existence is actually because of someone like His Holiness the Dalai Lama. If it wasn't for His Holiness, we wouldn't be here today. The 150 plus Tibetan, thousands of Tibetans that live in exile, it's only because of His Holiness that came into exile and gave us land in India and Nepal allowed us to you know, immigrate into different Western countries. None of that would have been possible. I wouldn't be here today in front of you if it wasn't for the institutions that His Holiness built, uh, like the Tibetan Children's Village, which is actually an orphanage, but also a school that takes care of children, uh, Tibetan children from you know, pre preschool till grade 12. And all of that was possible. And here they have semi-orphan kids. And I say semi-orphan because their parents are still stuck inside of Tibet. And so these kids who are basically orphaned because of a political, geopolitical issue, they went to school to TCV where they had mothers. And these mothers are pseudo-mothers that were taking care of like 40 children or 20 children. And everybody calls them Amala, which means mother. And so this is the environment that we grew up in. And we owe our whole existence and entire lives to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And his reputation and his name came into question. Not only just came into question, was completely stained without even looking up what His Holiness is or means and has dedicated his life to. Not to mention he's an 87-year-old celibate monk, a Buddhist monk. So it's been hard to say the least. Millions, millions of Tibetans are crying. I've been weeping every day and night. Um, and it's been quite uh, the challenge to see how the world has turned their back on us, despite always taking away our knowledge and wisdom from us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And um, can can you unpack what happened again? I know I, 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 it's all out there on the internet and people are, you know, writing articles about how which how a uh, gesture of affection has been misinterpreted, um, uh, that the language was misconstrued. There are articles out there. And there are many who, who read it and st still say that, you know, um, the child did not look comfortable or any, you know, the, uh, are we sure that abuse did not happen? All of that, right? There is still pushback from a large population um can you unpack again for us please for the listeners sure as humans we're complex beings um when we take in a moment we don't take in a moment with a single narrative nor a single experience or a single part of your identity 
You are a complex being that brings a lot of experiences, memories, your intergenerational trauma that you bring along with you. Um, and so when we take in a moment or any situation, language, culture, and context is defined and must be defined. And when we look and judge a situation, I urge you all to look at the language, the culture, and the context of the situation. There's two types of context that we can break down, the situational context and the cultural context. So when folks watch this video, I'm sure many of you as the world has responded were uncomfortable because of the given history of abuse by folks in power, specifically men in religious institutions. I understand that. And that's the world that we live in currently in terms of the Western context. And that is a hatred that people have built up towards folks in power that have abused their, their uh, power to be able to take advantage of young children. And it's real. I understand that. You must also understand that we, the Tibetans who are speaking up about this issue, are also humans that understand that context. We're not blindsided. We're also mothers, human beings that have been fighting for child rights abuses and making sure that fighting against child rights abuses and making sure that we center the voices of folks that are affected or victims of these abuses and hence become survivors. So this incident for us, when we perceive this incident, was a display of affection, warmth, humor, and sincerity. For folks that were uncomfortable, I understand that. And so let's unpack it. The language, you must understand that in our Tibetan culture, there is no concept of the word sak being sexualized. Mm. The word jib, jib is actually sak in Tibetan. Uh, you know, a pacifier for a child, when you give them a pacifier, it's called jibdu. So that's one context. Another context, when I was young, my mom, um, she used to suck the snot out of my nose. Um, and see, you know, some of you may find that disgusting, but she used to do that, not just to me, but, you know, my friends and kids that were chilling around while they were trying to make a living in, in South India, because the reason why is because you know that when you have a cold and you would, your nose is running, you would use tissues. When you use a lot of tissues on your nose, what happens here? It gets irritating, right? It becomes a little red. And so, so that my parents to avoid the irritation on our skin and to avoid the harm that deep love and care that they have for us is expressed through such actions because these things are not sexualized when my parents get old and if they're no longer able to chew i would chew the food for them and pass it out to mouth and feed them just the way they did when i was young and i couldn't chew i remember my teenage sister who is like probably 16 and she got measles and her tongue was irritated, either measles or some type of pox, chicken pox probably, but she couldn't chew. And because my mom was away working, my dad would chew the food and pass it mouth to mouth. And she's 16, a late teenager. Some folks might find that disgusting, but for us, it's a deep sense of care and love. Many of my friends who are, you know, even adults to some degree would kiss their parents, their fathers on the mouth because it's not a sexualized thing for us. So that's the cultural context that we come from. And also in addition to that, I'm sure there are articles that are already out there, but the relationship that we have with not just our parents, but grandparents is such that 
when we go ask for candy or a sucker or a lollipop, you know, they would give you, but they would give you a lot of other things, a lot of love. There's a barter that happens. It's like, okay, well then give me this, a kiss. Give me a kiss here, right? And then it's like, okay, eat my tongue or suck my tongue. But that doesn't actually happen. It's like, ew, and then you can run away, right? Just like how your grandparents are like, give me a hug. And you don't want to give and you're like, eh, you fight for it. So it's a playful, but I would refrain from using the word just playful because that has also been used as a way to uh, normalize uh, sexual abuse. And so it is a barter of love, which is ultimately a display of affection, care, and deep love. Um, and folks who have actually taken the time to watch the full video, you'll actually see this. And some of the versions of full video is actually not the full video because it's a long session. And you'll see that the kid actually comes to his holiness and provides him gifts. And then has this whole conversation with his holiness. His holiness says, I remember when I was a child, I used to play with my brother. And because my head was so strong, you know, we used to like butt our heads. And he has this interaction with the child. And after that, the kid comes up and says, can I have a hug? So it's like, okay, we've already spoken. There's like tons of people here. We've already had this interaction. We already like, you know, embraced each other. And you're here asking for another. So come on up. Now give me a kiss. Now give me a kiss here. Okay, now suck my tongue. Okay. And this is all within the cultural context. And right after that, what happens? His holiness holds his hand, the kid's hand on his cheek and says a prayer. You know, this interaction, and it continues with forehead touching. And forehead touching meaning my, my good luck. We have a saying of, that our luck is on our forehead. So folks with a bigger forehead always joke back and say, no, it's not a five head, but rather I have much more luck than you do. And so that luck is being passed on to you. May all my good luck go on to you. And that type of meaningful interaction is happening here, which folks have completely misconstrued. For us Tibetans, when we watch that, you know how many people have said, I wish that was me. This is something that we never have access to. To be able to come back close to his holiness and even have that type of interaction is people would die for that. And not to mention, let me give you a cultural context inside of Tibet. For decades, the picture of his holiness, the Dalai Lama has been illegal. You can't look up the Dalai Lama online. If you look it up, your IP address would be tracked and you would be jailed. Now, because of this incident, it has become allowed to be able to look up His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Of course, only to be able to find those edited clips and videos. But guess what Tibetans inside of Tibet are reacting as? They're rejoicing. There's videos that I saw where elders are crying and saying, I was able to see you. They're not interpreting this video as whatever the world has perceived it. And so if this doesn't prove to you the cultural divide and the context where the whole, maybe there was uncomfort. And if you still want to center the voices of the ones that are affected, which is the boy in this case, let us do that. Have you watched the clip of the child speaking? The child himself says it was the blessing. And his mother, after that says, you know, talks about her organization that they funded, but also talks about how grateful she is and how blessed she feels that her family got this blessing and interaction. Not to mention, even after when the whole world decided to outburst, the family still wrote to his holiness with two things. One, that 
their faith and respect for His Holiness remains intact, and two, apologize. Now, if the world, the Western world, or the folks that are so-called saviors of this child, you know, really care about this child, now what, what have we done? And this is the question about intention and impact, right? The intent, nobody has bad intentions here, whether it is the viewers, the non-supporters, the supporters, his holiness, the Dalai Lama, the child. But in terms of impact, the child, there was no impact from that event that was negative for the child, even for a month, until the viewers who saw it, who had, were uncomfortable because of their own world that they bring in, had projected this victimization, this trauma onto the child and said, no, 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 we're going to define for you what is trauma. Because what you thought was a blessing is actually not a blessing. You're enabling child abuse and blaming it back onto the child. So this projection. So who are we to, in the name of protecting the child, traumatizing him with an event that was initially blessing for him and his family and renaming it for him as traumatizing? If this doesn't remind you or re make you reflect on your ethnocentrism, your superiority complex in any way, or challenge your inner whiteness, I don't know what will. Um, at this point, Tibetans, in terms of impact, have been gravely impacted. Why? Because, as I said from the beginning, the impact or the, the, the values uh, that His Holiness has invited in us, the meaning of His Holiness for us in our lives, is something that nobody will ever be able to understand. And you've questioned us, not just questioned His Holiness's name, but you have questioned our very existence. We have lived our lives, you know, ushering ants outside of the classroom because we didn't want anybody to step on it. A spider comes, we would risk our own hands and say, no, 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 I'm going to take the spider out. This is the culture that we grew up in. And if you question someone who's like his holiness, who has taught us those values, then you're questioning our whole existence. I saw some comments on the Toronto protest that we recently did or a peace rally that we did, where somebody said, there's inflation happening. This is what you want to be doing, talking about this. I said, yeah, because yes, inflation also affects us. Child abuse also affects us. But we know what also affects us? When you challenge our mere existence, our very existence is being into question here. And not just challenge, you're judging us. With what? Your own perspective of your sexualized view. We don't, the concept of celibacy, I don't think the Western country people have understood still to this day. You know, monks, back in Tibet, we used to have one member of our family who entered the monastery and they would be celibate for their whole lives. We're not driven by thoughts that are sexual all the time. We're driven by how to reach our higher consciousness. We're taught how to listen, condition, speak, and listen, condition our minds and meditate to be able to reach our higher consciousness. And that's something that His Holiness has been dedicating his life to for decades. And if you think he's driven by praise, blame, lust, then you have not understood him still to this day. And that's a disadvantage for the world rather than uh, him, because he's not affected by any of this. The only people that you've hurt deeply is the Tibetans, the followers of his own holiness, 
and actually you've done just harm you've you've done harm to yourself if you think that um you really care for the child because you haven't you haven't and that's my perspective though you're free to think whatever you'd like if you really still you know um want to go ahead and condemn and um talk about the violence then i really encourage you to talk about the violence that has caused uh, that your views have caused to the larger world thank you thank you for sharing that i also think you know uh, it's interesting that this viral clip that is actually an um sort of a simple way of reacting to something which is different from our culture uh, as a non tibetan what is interesting is that there is no outrage on the thousands of tibetan children who are forcibly taken to residential schools um where is the outrage for that why is there no focus from the media at all or no conversation at all about that so i would like you chimi to please shine a light on this issue right now yeah you know for decades um let me center myself in terms of my location i live right now in toronto uh i come from stolen land and i live on stolen land and so for me being able to understand my existence on this land has been always a challenge uh of how do i build solidarity and camaraderie and these meaningful and intentional relationships with the indigenous communities here because this is their land that they have stewarded for millions and eons of years and we've come onto their lands and basically are settlers and so how do we navigate that what is our responsibility in that role and for me it's that and more most of our people is that we didn't come here by choice our country was taken away from us we come from stolen land and so the struggle and the challenges that our people have had to face for three generations living in exile is something that folks wouldn't understand because we needed for me i was born as a stateless refugee in india i didn't have a piece of paper that said here you belong to this country and so even leaving india was a struggle to be able to get the visa you need a passport but we don't have passports that's the tibetans in exile tibetans inside of tibet in their own country cannot even have a flag can even see their picture of their guru their teacher their son and forget a passport if you get a passport you have to get a chinese passport and even if you do get one for maybe like a study visa to be able to go to harvard or whatever school prestigious school that you were able to get it the moment you come back your your passport is confiscated that's like 1% or less than 1% of tibetans that are able to go out so tibetans inside of tibet cannot leave tibetans outside cannot go back to their own country and for decades we've been talking to the world telling them to listen about the struggle and the plight of his, of our country of our nation tibet has been ranked the least free place on earth for about 5 years in a row by freedom house and this year it's tied with syria and south sudan that's even higher than north korea in terms of how free our country is and We've been talking about this to the world for decades asking them to listen the type of attention that this couple of seconds clip edited clip has received is something that we've not been able to do for decades despite how many hours countless hours of work that we've been doing in our movement 
So this is the reason that we're getting back on the map. So only so you can judge us. Fine. But if even if that's the case, let us turn around the narrative and pay attention to what's actually happening inside of Tibet. As you said, there are actually almost a million children. That's 80% of Tibetan children. That means 80% of our next generation are forced or coerced. They're being, children are being separated from their families where they have to attend these state-run colonial boarding schools five days a week, separated from their families where they're being taught how to read, write, speak in Chinese and Mandarin rather than Tibetan. There's also psychological tricks that they're playing on these children where they're almost bribing them giving them cake, giving them sweets and sugars in between classes so that they wouldn't want to go back home. Kids as young as four years old. If this insidious, vicious type of brainwashing that the Chinese government is doing does not bother you, then I question whether or not you truly care for children. Mind you, in these schools, we have no idea what type of violence these children are going through in the case that they resist. Families that have resisted having their children that are four and five years old that are being forced into preschool, they're being denied of social welfare. They're getting bullied. If they speak out, they'll get detained and try to spread this news outside. No doubt they'll go to disappear. And the other thing is, if you don't send them to these mandatory preschools, they don't get an education. Now tell me, in this world, where do you go if you don't have an education? The only people that were able to get a, some sort of visa to be able to come outside in exile is through an education. And now, that's exactly what the Chinese government is doing, trying to eradicate the whole Tibetan identity at its core. And this is something that we all know, living in Turtle Island. This is the same tactic that the colonizers use on indigenous First Nation, Métis, and Inuit kids here. And we say, no, we, that's terrible. As we, as we find out more news about the unmarked graves of children that were buried near these churches. Do we wanna find these graves of children inside of Tibet in the next future? If we don't say something about it, it's, it will happen. And we've been raising alarm, talking to any media that you can imagine about the situation. 80% of our next generation, you know, the Chinese government has realized that they cannot eradicate the Tibetan identity. The very reason that you see all these Tibetan activists, Tibetans everywhere rising, telling you to please listen to the other narrative, that spirit is something that the Chinese government has been trying to erase for 70 years. And they haven't been able to, and they realize that. So what are they doing? They're waiting for our generations to die so that the new generation that they've brainwashed come into picture. This is not just a cultural genocide that we're talking about. This is an eliminationist project that the Chinese government has deployed. It's a colonial uh, uh, you know, strategy to eradicate uh, indigenous populations, native populations, cultural, intellectual, spiritual legacy. We see this, we've seen this uh, as, as an Indian, I've seen this. Uh, so I, I, as you know, I totally can understand and uh, thank you for sharing that. I'm just so moved. Hi everyone. I just wanna pop in here really quick and remind you about our sponsor, Offering Tree. 
As yoga teachers, we are our own business managers, website designers, and producers. It's a lot. And Offering Tree offers an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to succeed while we're doing all the things. And I'd just like to say that through this partnership with the Love of Yoga podcast, Offering Tree has shown that it's committed to supporting accessibility and equity in the yoga world. Offering Tree is a public benefit corporation, and they're driven by a mission of wellness accessibility, which we share with them at Accessible Yoga. As an Offering Tree user, you'll get uh, to join a supportive educational community, and you'll also get free webinars with top experts in wellness and entrepreneurship. And of course, you get a discount. So go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to learn more and to get your discount. Okay, let's go back to the episode. I was I, I invited you here to me not, not only because I really respect you as a as an activist and as a spokesperson. Um, and I met you personally, so I have that personal connection. But I also wanted to like just center Tibetan perspectives based on some of the interactions that I have now experienced because of this issue in my direct messages and social media whenever I've posted and the just the gratitude of just being seen um, and the vulnerability that people have shared with me will will stay with me um, you know it, it's it's going to be a part of my work how can we be in solidarity with uh, with the Tibetan people right now in uh, as non-Tibetans, what can we do? You know, uh, this makes, makes me reflect on the word allyship. Ally is not just a badge that you wear. It's a constant action that you engage in. And so um, if you would like to be an ally uh, to us, um, it is first and foremost understanding the situation and truly like reflecting on whether or not you see our perspective and not just our perspective it aligns with you do you see the truth in the full interaction that the boy and his illness has had and have you read about the tibetan movement what they've been calling for for decades what is the situation inside of tibet and so you know once you've done that internal work i think no matter what type of feedback you get when you're externally out there and saying, I stand with the Dalai Lama, we stand with the Dalai Lama, and show your solidarity, that nothing will affect you to some degree where you'll have to change your mind. There will be conviction in your values, in your thoughts. There's the alignment, the allyship that you're able to provide us will also be of that strength. And don't worry. Once you have shown your solidarity and support, you're one of us. Our community will be there to embrace you. And as you've said um, already, that the community is already reaching out to you in terms of gratitude of being seen. We've been so denied of the public, the media, the platform, the attention that we've been asking for support for decades. Um, we're finally getting it in such a negative tone, but we still believe there's hope just like the tibetans inside of tibet that are grateful <laughs> to be able to see a picture of his holiness the Dalai Lama, even though it's edited and so you know disproportionately negatively uh, displayed they are still finding the gratitude and joy in being able to see their guru and so if they can do that despite the oppression despite the genocide that they're going through 
for us in exile to be able to speak out. It takes a couple of seconds to show out a post on social media to say that you stand with us all the way. It takes maybe minutes or hours or you know, just a conversation with somebody to explain this other perspective and your own reflection. You don't need to just repeat what we've been saying. You have to just do that internal reflection on your perspective and bring in your complexities and your nuances of who you are. You know, for me, I can't bring that expression of playing with my grandparents, of being able to do that, you know, affectionate barter because they passed away at the ages of 60. I have only one grandparent left who lives in India and I haven't seen her for 10 years now. And I've been denied of that experience because of displacement. And so my stories and my cultural stories have not been preserved because of the colonial regime, because of the displacement. And that's why we struggled for, I struggled for the first three days to be able to give the world an explanation that was academically succinct, you know? And people finding all these flaws in our reasoning. I'm like, yeah, because our cultural practices have not been written down. They've not been written down because people did not care when we were being literally killed annihilated as a nation and so whereas we're kind of preserving our culture and trying our very best to not get assimilated into various diaspora communities this attack has happened and now we're being asked to bring you know cultural references and academic articles that prove our cultural practices but why why do we need to defend ourselves that way this is our truth this is who we are and if you care and if you choose to care then you have to learn about it and if not, bring in your own cultural experiences, bring in that nuance. We need these complexities and nuances, the multiplicities of stories. We don't need those single narratives. This is exactly what we want to challenge. The single narrative of this hypersexualized context that has been created, the story, sensationalized story that has been created in the West that has finally put Tibet on the map. So let us turn around the narrative. There is hope. We have been, I've been, you know, recently seeing some videos of these so-called influences uh, that have initially posted all these negative terms of his holiness, staining his name, um, apologizing. Apologizing to his holiness, apologizing to the Tibetan people and supporters. Um, and, you know, this is something that people can just say, I'm sorry, I misunderstood and walk away. The pain that it has caused millions of people is not something that we can walk away. We've lost tons of sleep some of our seniors and elders who have not been able to go home for six decades, they're crying at home every day, praying for his well-being and saying that this is probably one of the worst moments in their lives. Despite losing a country, having to start over and over again, not once, not twice, but three times in different countries, learning different languages. I, to this day, speak four different languages and perhaps even seven on my resume, but that is a blessing and a curse because it's a reminder of how many times my parents had to just pack up and start again, again and again from zero. All of their well cultural and family relationships had to be left just so that they can have a chance at survival. And that type of struggle that my, our grandparents' generation have gone through, our parents' generation, they're crying at night saying that, that this defamation, this cultural misunderstanding this situational misunderstanding of the West has caused them this much pain that they can't sleep at night. So in terms of impact, 
you know, this is not something that uh, the Tibetan community can just get over. Uh, and so thank you for the apologies for those who have and folks who do wish to reflect, please, uh, we need your support at this crucial time. There's so many people on the media that still have been circulating all of this misinformation. I've heard of young Tibetans here in the West having to go through classes where these teachers are bringing this example and saying, this is a form of sexual abuse to children. And now imagine being a young Tibetan and not having the words to be able to explain and being bullied in class, being called pedo supporter. It's just ridiculous the amount of pain that our community is going through at every single level. And I can't continue to express, you know, despite all of this pain, we, we're still here trying to practice the teachings of His Holiness and being compassionate, trying to not be violent in any way. You have not seen any sort of rioting. If you challenge any we have not harmed anyone physically, emotionally too. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what I wanted to share next. So I'm so glad you're bringing this up to me because even just being a witness to uh, and a recipient of messages from Tibetan folks from all over the world sharing with me so much vulnerability. I have never received a single message of anger or resentment or bitter, even bitterness. All people have shared with me is either their gratitude, their vulnerability, their uh, even compassion, uh, and they've shared the hurt that they felt, but I've not really heard an angry message. And, I, and I'm sitting with that because I feel angry on behalf of Tibetans and people who have been marginalized. Um, and I feel that that is special. That is unique, that, that the way to receive all this negative, you know, negative, harmful um, coverage that the Tibetan community is facing right now, and people are still rooting down or anchoring down within their humanity, um, the Tibetans. And I think that is, a, that is something that we non-Tibetans should learn about how we can just understand the complexity of a situation, learn how to share vulnerability, because that is not often shared in this very patriarchal way of um, being in the world, you know, politics and uh, world issues and all of this race. It's, a, it's, it's shared in a, in a very patriarchal way. I feel that this is a non-patriarchal, way of being moving in the world and I think that is a lesson that we can take as non-Tibetans from this just receiving and being a witness to what's happening and I'm very grateful for that and I'm very grateful for you to sharing your uh, eloquence your heart your experiences I know it brings up a lot and as a friend and as a somebody who I look to you as I'm, I'm older. Um, I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you are uh, learning how to anchor yourself in this process. And is there anything else you want to share in terms of what you do and how we can further support you? Mm. Thank you. I am able to 
do what I do because of my community. And so if there's any ounce of, um, you know, in of a good impression that you have of me, uh, just know that that is because of my community. Um, and, and if you want to support me, uh, support my community. Support the very people that have been called into question. And they're not just the people. Our values, our very existence has been called into question here. Uh, and it's so crucial that we have the support of non-Tibetans um, be a testament to who we are, especially if you see it. No, we don't need lip service. We need your true reflections and support. And that will be seen. And that will also help us in the longer way, longer term of when there will be turns and tribulations and trials. Um, and during that time, it will be easier to go through because we know that we're holding hands together. Um, and so don't worry about me. I'm okay. Uh, I'm very grateful um, that people are willing to listen. If you've made it this way uh, until here in the podcast, I appreciate your time and the will to unlearn and learn and grow together. And I hope that we'll continue on this journey together for everybody. And let us not um, use our rationalization or this so-called care for folks um, come in the way of the oneness of humanity because we are ultimately um, one. And so we must be one and together. So thank you. Thank you, Anjali, for having me. Thank you so much, Jimmy. So appreciate you. Thank you for being here for this conversation. Please support our work at Accessible Yoga Association by becoming an ambassador or checking out our studio at accessibleyoga.org.